0: hello and welcome to this vidcast which is devoted to the information which is disclosed by companies on its various activities and business units of course the subject does not look very exciting but it is of fundamental importance when you observe the stock prices and the valuation of companies which are holding companies and or conglomerates You observe activities, you calculate the sum of the values of the parts, and then you observe the stock market value of the whole firm. And very often, the value of the company is less than the sum of the values of the parts. This is what is observed, and it is supported by financial theory. Among the various reasons which are provided by financial theory, one is information asymmetry. The financial investors, they want to know what is currently happening in the company and business by business. A very big question is, how are resource allocation decisions made? How do you translate your business strategy into operations, allocating resources to the various business units? And here you understand that there is a very high risk of waste. Imagine a company with two businesses. A and B. B is doing well, A is not doing well. So in order to rescue A, you are going to take funds generated by B in order to help A, instead of allocating all the resources generated by B to support its own growth, autonomy and value maximization. This is obviously a risk. Now, in order to provide some information, there is a regulatory environment, which is IFRS 8, International Accounting Standards and US Gaps ASC 280. They are quite similar, but I would like to give you some details about IFRS 8. First, it's about providing information by activity, by segment, by business segment. And there are a few key words. First, you are going to disclose information about operational entities. You have entities, they are running the business, and you disclose some information on these operational entities. The second keyword is about performance evaluation. Why do you disclose information? In order to understand which kind of performance you generate in each and every business segment. The third keyword is very important. It's about resource allocation. It's about, again, translating strategy into investment decisions. Who takes the decision in the company? The chief operating decision maker, the CODEM. And the CODEM is, generally speaking, the executive committee in charge of translating strategy into investment projects. Now, if the information is needed by the CODEM, it should be disclosed. Two technical points. First, you have to disclose some information by country, revenues and fixed assets. More or less, where do you do business? Where is your manufacturing footprint located? Last but not least, information is not required if it's not available, if it's not used, if it's not reviewed and or if it is too expensive to provide. Now I'd like to go through four cases and a company which I'm going to mention in the conclusion. The first case is about Unilever, which is a film of this month. In the film I give you some opinion about the quality of the segment information and I will give you some insight on that. The second case is about the financial information which is provided by companies operating in a cloud business and I devoted, some months ago, a vidcast on this subject. A film, November 2021, Orsted, with a fantastic quality of communication. Last but not least, Avery Denison, a very interesting company whose turnover is about $7 billion, which gives some information, and we are going to see which information and how to use it. First, Unilever, which is described in the film, dated January this year. For Unilever, the good news is about the P&L. We have a quite detailed P&L, which has been reported since 2010. But absolutely no information on the balance sheet by activity. The company says the CODEM does not need this information, does not review this information, which is quite strange. No direct information on industrial investment, the famous capital expenditures. Indirect information through depreciation and amortization. But then you understand that we are absolutely unable to calculate neither the Rose and the economic profit, ROCE less WAC. Then we are unable to calculate the ROCE and the free cash flow. With the Rose, you can calculate the economic profit, which is ROCE less WAC. You can observe the value which is created by the businesses. The Rose is part of the bonus which is paid to managers. So that's important to calculate the Rose. It's impossible. Free cash flow is useful if you want to evaluate the company as the sum of the parts. It's just impossible. The only information which is provided, remember my technical point, is geographic information revenue, sales turnover, and non-current fixed asset by geography. You understand that this information is of low relevance when you want to analyze the value of the companies. As far as the cloud business is concerned, it's even worse, except for one company. It was a vidcast in June 2020. Amazon is best in class in a cloud business, but in the financial communication as well. Amazon Web Services, you have some information about the P&L. You can calculate the operating income, the EBIT, and the EBITDA. You have some information on the balance sheet and on the capital expenditures. Then you can calculate the ROCE and the free cash flow. What about Microsoft, Azure, the cloud business? I had to recompute a kind of p and with some assumptions. No balance sheet item, no capital expenditures. Google, some revenues, some operating income, negative by the way, no explanation. Alibaba, revenues adjusted EBITDA, some information on depreciation so that you can calculate the current EBITDA. No CapEx, no balance sheet. So again, Rousy and Free Cash Flow is Amazon Web Services for the rest of the industry. Forget it. It's very low communication level. At the other extreme, you have Orstead. Orsted. Financial communication is absolutely great. The company is a subject of the film of November 2021, and I was explaining that the financial communication of the company is clear, transparent, stable, complete, and relevant, which is absolutely great. You know the segments of the company? Offshore, windmills, onshore, markets, and bioenergy. You have the p detail, capital employed detail, business segments. You know everything on the non-current assets, working capital requirement, the EBITDA, revenues by nature. Do you generate revenue selling gas or selling energy? That's absolutely great. Then the company calculates and communicates the ROCE, which you can analyze. The company is communicating on investment and divestments. Divestments are very important at Allstead because it's very much about resource allocation from one business to the other. In which business do you really invest? And then the company calculates and communicates and discloses its free cash flow. So you have cloud for most of the companies except one, which is at one extreme, or Stead is at the other extreme. Interestingly, I've in First, a few words about the company. $7 billion of revenues in 2020 and three reasonably different businesses. Label and graphic materials are dominant one, almost 70% of the sales, 4.9 billion. The second largest business is about retail branding and information solutions, 1.5 billion. Industrial and healthcare, 0.6 billion. The company is a star in the stock market. The average total shareholders' return on an annual basis is 22% per year during five years. Which basically means that if you have invested $1 five years ago, now your wealth is $2.7, which is absolutely outstanding. In the meantime, revenue growth was quite limited. It's 15% in five years from your minus five to today. So it's not high growth, but it's a great performance. As the company is very profitable and is not fast-growing, it can distribute a significant part of its profit. The dividend payout ratio is 40%. The ROE, the performance is great with 24%. And the consequence of a nice performance is the value of the company. The enterprise value is almost six times the book value of capital employed. This is a fantastic track record in terms of value creation. The company precisely communicates the four performance criteria which it uses internally. The first one is revenue growth, but not revenue growth only because it can come from evolution of currencies, uh, acquisitions, divestment, but also organic growth. Then the third one is a free cash flow, operating cash flow, cash from operations, minus the capital expenditures, net of divestment. The fourth criterion is operating working capital, which is reduced to inventories and accounts receivable minus accounts payable. Now, which information is provided by the company on these criteria per segment? You have some information about the P&L. I will tell you a little bit later what is inside the P&L, about acquisitions, about capital expenditures, and about depreciation. But you have absolutely no information on total assets by reportable segment as it is precisely described in the 10K report. Why? Oh, because we don't generate this information. We don't review this information internally, which is a little bit of a surprise. Now, if we get into the details of this information, you have information about revenues not only the net sales, but the net sales less the intersegment sales, which is a really net sales for each and every business. Here you have label and graphic materials. As a complement to net sales, you have the operating income. Now the second criterion for the company, which is absolutely key, is organic sales growth. Then it's providing First segment, the reported sales change, but uh, you have to take into account some technical aspects, such as foreign currency and acquisitions. Then you provide net sales, growth in net sales, and growth in organic sales. For the largest business, which is LGM, you have the revenue per geography. For retail branding and information solutions, you have the revenue per nature of product and or service. Industrial and healthcare, you just have the top line because it's much smaller. So you have some detail on the revenues. The company is disclosing the income before tax from the EBIT provided by each and every segment. Then you make the sum of these EBITs, you deduct corporate expense, you deduct the interest and some other non-recurrent and non-operating expenses on income and you get the income, the earnings before tax. As in the EBIT, you have some current and non-current items, the company is disclosing, the restructuring, charges. Then you can calculate a current EBIT, which I'm going to explain a little bit later. Detailed information on capital expenditures, detailed information about depreciation and amortization. Now, what about acquisitions? The footnote number two is providing some information about the acquisitions and is telling in which reportable segment these acquisitions are allocated. When you make an acquisition, very often you account for a goodwill in your balance sheet. The goodwill is given gross and net per segment. So you understand that you have quite some information about the company. The operating working capital, unfortunately, no. You have an information about how the company is transforming the working capital into operating working capital, and you can observe that it's exactly inventories plus accounts receivable minus accounts payable, and then the company says it represents about 12% of revenues. No information by segment. Now, how can we mobilize this information to make some calculations? Let's take the example of LGM gross sales 4.9, net sales 4.7 billion, EBIT, about 700 million dollars. But you remember that in the EBIT you have some non-current items related with restructurations. The figure is provided. Then you can deduct from these two figures a current EBIT. EBITDA is EBIT plus DA. DA is provided. You have the current EBITDA. 818 million dollars. And capital expenditures represent only 87 million. So you understand that this business is a fantastic cash provider EBITDA minus capex which is not exactly the free cash flow but it's a very important indicator which tells you that the company is providing tons of cash. Now if you want to make the valuation of this part of the company you need a WAC. For the WAC you need a beta per business which is absolutely not provided. We know that the beta is about 1. So using the CAPM, cost of equity, government bond rate, 1.5, plus beta, 1, multiplied by the equity market risk premium, 6%. Cost of equity, 7.5%. Now equity, market value of equity, market cap, is about 90% of the enterprise value. That represents the other 10% of the enterprise value. Cost of debt after tax, 2%, 90% of 7.5, plus 10% of 2%, about 7% as a WAC. To evaluate a company or a business, you take the cash flow, you divide by the difference between WAC and growth. I take 2% as a kind of long-term growth for the company, but then I need to calculate the free cash flow, taking into account the delta operating working capital. If we consider that the operating working capital of the business is the same as the group which is 12% of 4.7 you multiply that by 2% and you get a delta operating working capital of about 11 million. Now approximately your free cash flow is about 720. Now you divide the free cash flow by the difference between the work and the growth rate 7 minus 2 and you get an approximation of the value of the business, which is $14.4 billion. Then you can compare that with the total enterprise value of the company, which is $19 billion. It provides an interesting calculation, even though it's obviously quite approximate. Now, some comments on the information, which is disclosed by Avery Dennison. It's kind of half complete, because you don't have very detailed information on the balance sheet, but it's quite usable. You can't calculate the row, say, yes, but you have a kind of good approximation for the free cash flow, which is quite interesting, which allows you to give some approximate calculation of the segment value. Then you can use this calculation and this method to calculate the value of the firm as a sum of the parts. Now you understand that Average Innocent is somewhere between these two extremes, Orsted on one side, and most of their companies in the cloud business on the other side. A few conclusions on this topic. First, we have been able to observe the huge diversity from one company to the other. Next question, is there any correlation between the industry, the sector, the business, and the communication policy? And observing the cloud business gives us the answer. The answer is no. Of course, we understand that there are still some technical and regulatory improvements to be made by the companies that want to be reasonably transparent and reduce information asymmetry. But the very big question, which is still completely open, is there any correlation between the quality of communication and the stock market performance and the market credibility? You have to be extremely humble, extremely modest if you want to give an answer. Of course, I have my personal conviction, which is that there is a correlation and the correlation is positive. But then at the end of the day, a company can very much limit its segment communication, its segment information to revenues and operating income by geography. Not buy product, give absolutely no information on its key products except sales revenues, and still uh, reach a level of three trillion dollars of market capitalization, which is outstanding and unique. Guess which firm? Obviously. Thank you very much.